When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Soho Strangler Week by Murdwell. To accompany the series, here's a few extra details from the police files and the court records to aid your enjoyment and maybe even help you crack the case. This episode is about the lies created by the public. So it's shocking to think that when we're dealing with a murder investigation where clearly someone has died in a very traumatic way and there's a lot of people who are very upset and police with a very strict timeline trying to work out who did what to who and when and for what reason, that it would be baffling that someone would actually lie to the investigation, but people do. And there's a multitude of reasons why. It's not just straight out lies. There's obviously little white lies and misinterpretations. But do you know, people do it because they want to help. They have a misbelief about what they've either seen or heard. Uh, Some people do it because they deliberately want to frustrate the investigation. Um, And others do it to get friends, ex-lovers, colleagues into trouble. So we're going to dive into uh, a couple of... Things that cropped up during the Soho Strangler killings. So, um, during the murder of Fifi, I focused on these ones because this was around a time before the press had kind of really got very excited and were getting excited about the Soho Strangler and what it could be and that it's potentially a serial killer. This was just a very ordinary murder. The murder of French Fifi was quite ordinary. It was one of these cases that's going to be forgotten. So I felt it was better to kind of focus on this one so we can get a really good idea about um, about the information that people pass on to the police. So the police were trying to work out where French Fifi was in the hours before she was murdered. She didn't go out that night um to her usual haunt to pick up men as she normally would she was meant to meet a friend later on uh none of this happened so they were like okay where was she between i think the last time that she was seen uh, was actually via phone to a friend was at five thirty, um and then she was seen about 2 a.m if you remember so there's a big patch of time where she was missing and we know she was in and around soho so uh the head waiter uh, B.J. Rakovec, uh, who was the head waiter at the grill room at the Criterion restaurant. So that's right in the heart of Piccadilly. That's actually where the Blackout Ripper used to pick up, um, where he picked up Greta Haywood, just outside. Uh, so he said that he saw a woman he believed was French Fifi on Sunday the 3rd of November at 11pm with two women he who he believed were French. 
Now, there's a problem here in the fact that when he sat down with the police and gave his statement, he admitted that he didn't know Fifi at all. He'd never met her before, and he only believed that the women were French. So that makes that makes this really, really awful witness statements. But unfortunately, the police have to take all of these witness statements and deal with them properly, just in case, just in case anyone makes a mistake and uh, do you know they miss something crucial uh, he states that uh, she arrived at 11 p.m left after 30 minutes and then she returned at 3 30 a.m now let's not forget that the timeline does state that she was almost certainly dead by that point so we know this almost certainly isn't french fifi but it has to be taken seriously um the police in their reporting did say they did not believe this was her the time of death was wrong um, but unfortunately, this head waiter, he wanted, I, I don't think he did it because he wanted attention. That's another reason why people may do it. I think he did it because he wanted to be help, helpful. He saw her picture. He thought he saw another. Don't forget, um, eyewitness statements are only about 30% accurate and, um, which we'll get to in the, in the section that we do on witness statements. I'm going to, I'm going to go through all the people in the French Marie case and all the people who said that they saw Norman Stevenson and we know what Norman Stevenson looks like and then we're going to go through every detail about what everyone saw that day and it's fascinating to have a look and see what 20 people in the same room looking at the same man in good daylight without being distracted by anything going on how their how their their details can be so entirely different but um yeah he uh, this head waiter admitted he didn't know french fifi he'd never met her before um and those whoever that lady was we don't know uh, and neither do we know who those two french associates were uh but the police believe it was not her now if you remember back in the french fifi case uh, we had Sydney Bloom, uh, real name Sydney Blumenthal uh, of Water Lane in Stratford, and he was a supplier of preventatives. That was the word they used for contraception back then. These were the kind of really, really thick, thick, heavy-duty rubber condoms that were uh, so thick you really couldn't feel anything if you were using them, apparently. Um, he would be the supplier of contraception to prostitutes in and around the Soho area, um, obviously making good money off that as well. Uh, he volunteered, volunteered the information that he'd known her since 1922 uh, um, and that she was called Fifi Martin, which well, most people knew her as Fifi Martin. This was also reported in the press as well, but it's likely that he would have known her anyway as a... Uh, a supplier of uh, contraception uh, he said he last saw her between 9 15 p.m and 10 p.m which is around the period that she was missing but that don't forget that was also reported in the press uh, he said he saw her on sunday the 3rd of november on regent street but uh, technically just on the side bit by glasshouse street which we know was her her patch where she would um where she would pick up men um given his job he would have known that anyway uh, and that he saw her get off with a client um now the police wouldn't believe it, that he was telling the truth with this even though everything kind of matches up it, the, the timing is right the place is right he knows her it would make sense any if there was any other moment you would kind of just say this is a fantastic piece of information he's a reliable person but the problem is um because he had a sentence he because he had a court date brewing he actually 
volunteered his his services to the police he went straight to the police station uh, and he opened the discussion with mentioning the fact that he's got an upcoming court case and he wanted to be of some help um which obviously is code for i will give you some information and in return you will uh, you will mentioned to the magistrate that i've been helpful therefore i won't get a, a heavy sentence for the crimes that i've committed committed um 24th of november 1936 uh the daily herald stated a man i.e sydney bloom who was said to have offered to assist the police in their inquiries in the murder of josephine martin was sent to prison sydney bloom 36 a hawker committed for sentence at bow street on the charge of being an incorrigible rogue bring back that sentence that is fantastic uh charged with being an incorrigible rogue uh, received four months hard labor bloom had nine previous convictions uh they would state there is no doubt that this man is connected with all of the criminals in the west end said an officer he has on several occasions come to the police station offering information um so that could have been a great piece of testimony but because he's a notorious liar um unfortunately it could not be believed which which is a shame i know the police would have double checked everything and uh, but let's not forget that the ladies who were also prostitutes on glasshouse street who knew her that's where they were expecting to see her that night and they said they didn't see her on glasshouse street at all which was unusual so it's likely that his sighting was complete bs and he just did it because he uh he wanted to get off a slightly heavier sentence also with french Fifi, this happens quite a lot where people want to be really helpful and they'll send an anonymous letter to the police so with french fifi if you remember back to part one that one of the possible suspects was her brother uh he was a dancer inverted commas um, not particularly good with money she was constantly funding him um in technically he's kind of living off her immoral earnings so that's really a, a criminal offense um terrible with money now the police received a letter dated the 9th of november 1935 so just five days after the murder um i won't i won't read the whole of the letter many parts of it are correct uh and for the police it had some credibility but they would go in and that it was just too vague unfortunately uh it would start sir i have important information to give you but i cannot sign my name french fifi who has been murdered has a brother by the name of french albert that's not his real name obviously uh, uh, they are of russian parents but born in paris where the mother still lives albert is a rascal who always tries to make money quick he was working at the polygot at the polygot club on rupert street less than a year ago when the club was raided by your men and albert was sent to jail because he could not pay his fine until victor berlemont the governor of the york minster the york minster is now the uh, french house pub on dean street paid for it uh, now berlemont agreed to give uh, the money to french fifi to pay the fine for a brother uh, fifi was working on the streets obviously at that time and giving him money to kind of help her brother out um uh and it's it's kind of uncertain what really happened to that point apparently the fine was about 50 pounds it is uncertain whether victor paid the fine or whether fifi paid the fine or whether albert ended to ended up having to do the full sentence because no fine would be paid but um this anonymous letter was all about blaming albert her brother for the murder 
Uh, the police would investigate that. They couldn't find anything to pin on Albert for the murder of his own sister. Um, now, one of the things that I, I've been desperate to get to, I really wanted to put it in the episode, but I, it, it cropped up after the murder of Dutch Leia. So we got the murder of French Fifi, we got the murder of uh, Marie Cotton, and then you've got Dutch Leia. And then there's that kind of interim period where the, the press have got really excited about the Soho Strangler and there's things going on. And because you've had the murder of Marie Cotton and Dutch Leia pretty close together, it's like three weeks apart, they're kind of expecting a bit a bit of a ramp up of, of kind of excitement and murder and all oh, there's going to be a new murder. And, and if you look in the press constantly there's new new woman found dead in flat and there's there's nothing there it's just it's just they need a kind of a placeholder to remind the audience the soho strangler is still there it's still exciting don't go away there's going to be some new stuff so they go oh another woman murdered but it was entirely false so um about a couple of weeks after the it was about six weeks after the murder of dutch Lair, and this is after the inquest as well um this is one of my favorite articles it's on sunday the 28th of june 1936 in the people a reliable tabloid uh, uh, this is the headline ex-jockey becomes seer and has vision of soho's mystery killer another girl in danger he says um, now this is this is uh, listed as a, a special article for the people. Um, the people is in the newspaper, not the, the people. Um, yesterday in London, a young man possessing amazing powers, visualizing for me Soho's mysterious killer, for whom the police of Britain are now searching. This young man, a former jockey, is George Hendrik Killick, who comes from Denmark. Quite by accident, he discovered that he possessed a strange power of vision called psychometry the ability to hold objects or photographs and describe the circumstances appearances and characters of the owners or subjects in sweden and denmark killick has already won considerable fame for his connection with crime detection oh this is this is getting exciting now the reporter from the people gave him a photo of Dutch Lair so he could touch it and he could go, oh, yeah, like if you've seen the dead zone. I'm sure he did the, you know, I'm sure there was a sound that went chink, chink. And he kind of heard a shock moment. And then um, and then he said something amazing and everyone would drop to their knees and were all exciting. The problem is the reporter gave Killick the photo of Dutch Lair seven weeks after the murder murder after which the, the, there'd been lots of reporting in the press. So kind of we'll go through what he said when he touched the photo and he went, oh, yes, this man who murdered this woman, this is what he looks like. So don't forget, you, you the, the witness statements appeared the next day in the paper so that we've had seven he's had seven weeks to digest this. I could be I could be wrong. You know, he could be a real psychic. It's doubtful, though. Um, so he would say, uh, the reporter said, I gave him a photo of the woman, and with closed eyes, he began to talk. He said, I see a man, slightly over medium height, dark hair, parted at the sides, otherwise untidy, uh, slightly grey at the sides. He was wearing a curious hat with a brim slightly broader than usual, but sometimes he wears no hat at all. Ooh. He is slim, dressed in a dark suit, and has rather sloping shoulders. He has dark, deep-set eyes with heavy eyebrows, 
a face which seems coloured yet palish, and a suit which fits him badly. He is now poor, but has seen better times. He is now in London, he stays in various places for short periods, he does odd jobs, he is very ill, he is very ill physically and mentally. This man has already been in the hands of the police. Oh my god, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it looks on the surface when you see all these details, you go, Wow, that's an amazing description, that's so detailed. But it's not, it's vague. Look how vague it is. A man, slightly over medium height, dark hair, parted, slightly greying, wearing a curious hat. Oh, sometimes he doesn't wear a hat at all. Oh, he's, he's slightly over medium build, but if you look lower on, uh, the psychic goes, he is slim. Hang on, I thought he was slightly over medium medium height. Medium height, medium build. Um, dressed in a dark suit. Well, don't forget this era, most men are wearing dark suits. Um, and that's also the problem with the the eyewitness testimony that we have of uh, Emilio Plantino and Nelly Few when they saw Dutch Leia, because they, they saw the man she was with and they gave a really accurate description. Joe, their descriptions ma- marry up. But the problem is it's a man of average height, uh, average build. He's wearing dark, he's got dark hair and it's slicked back. It looks like it's greased back. But this is the 1930s. Most men have that kind of look. It's And also he's wearing a dark suit. We're also in an era where, you know, I think today if you saw someone in a suit, you'd go, oh, you got a job interview or you go into court. You know, because we're so used to people wearing like jeans or something casual. But back in that era, doesn't matter what job you were doing, you were wearing a suit. It would be a scruffy suit, but it could be a suit. If you were a builder, you'd be wearing a suit. It'd be a scruffy suit. But, you know, so... um I just think that that whole thing about the psychic jockey is is interesting, but it shows you how desperate they were really getting. Um, With Dutch Leia as well, quite often, as we've seen with uh, Sidney Bloom, who we've just had, quite often criminals will get in touch. Um, And we had, uh, with Dutch Leia, I didn't put it in the episode because it throws everything off, Um, a gentleman called Arthur Thomas Stevens, who was serving 21 months hard layer at Wandsworth Prison in West London. Quite a notorious prison, quite a, quite a hard prison. Uh, he stated that a fellow prisoner, John Sutton, claims to know who killed Dutch Layer. On the 8th of January 1938, uh, the, de- the detective chief inspector interviewed him and stated... Uh, And he stated that while serving at Lewes Prison in 1936, he met John Sutton, i.e. alias uh, John Max. They were arguing about various murders, including Dutch Leia. And Stevens said, she was killed by a sex maniac. Sutton said, I should know, as I have lived with her. He then said that he had visited her a couple of days before and said that she'd been threatened by a man. (gasps) June 1937, uh, Sutton said to Stevens, apparently, I advise you to forget everything I just said about Leah Hines. Uh, Stevens was released on the 23rd of September 1937, accosted and threatened by several strangers three times, apparently, he said, based on what he'd he'd heard. Uh, But the police don't believe any of his statement. Um... And they only believe that uh, this guy, uh, Arthur Thomas Stevens, is given this piece of information because he wanted to be transferred out of Wandsworth Prison. Quite often prisoners will do this. They will um, 
chat to the police and say, I've got this great information, I'll give you this information, but in return, you know, they can't go as far as to say lower my sentence because the sentence has already been done, but they can say, move me out of this horrible shit or prison, move me somewhere nice. Um, um, On the 18th of January 1938, John Sutton also alias Jack Velody was interviewed and it was confirmed that he was in prison on the night of the murder he admitted that he lived with Dutch Leia for six days in a flat above G's fish restaurant in High Street Bloomsbury um, so that bit is true whether he lived with her but um, that's the flat where she lived with quite a few men uh, in the time before she met up with Stanley King, it is also believed that that could have been that was also where the the cafe was, where Stanley King went to in High Street Bloomsbury. It's a really odd place to go because it's, as mentioned in the episode. Sorry, I'm going on a, a, a deviation here. Stanley King said because he couldn't get into his flat, uh, he, he was ringing on the doorbell and knocking the door, and Leia wasn't answering, obviously because she was murdered. Um, so he went to a cafe on High Street in Bloomsbury. But as mentioned in Extra Mile, he'd just come from a coffee shop on Charing Cross Road, which is the next street over. Uh, and he, Jock, who was his friend who actually broke down the door, he went downstairs next door to a cafe which was open, and Jock was in there. So why did he go to High Street in Bloomsbury? High Street in Bloomsbury is about it's about a three, four minute walk. It's not a long way away, but why would you do that when this cough cafe is so close to you? But it's interesting that uh, Dutch Lair actually lived uh, at G's Fish Restaurant, High Street Bloomsbury. Who knows? Who knows? Um, oh, it's starting to rain. Oh, lovely. There we go. And I've left my windows open. Oh, bollocks right i'm gonna power through this bit uh the the police concluded this was winds picking up as well the police concluded this was little more than idle prison talk um and that these guys were simply doing this just because they they wanted to get out of prison uh get moved to somewhere better now uh also this even happened with french marie as well so sometimes even though people want to be helpful or they just want to interfere, sometimes they just want to get other people into trouble. And this happened in the case of French Marie. So um, even though the vast majority of the statements that they got from all the other prostitutes, it's amazing. Um, in this era, every time the police would get uh, a statement from a prostitute, they would go, there'd always be a reference in there going, well, the prostitutes are their born liars, therefore, you know, it can't fully be trusted. It, except um, with the neighbour of French Fifi, the police took her statement verbatim. It was like it fitted everything they wanted, so they took it verbatim. But the other prostitutes were born liars. Um, but unfortunately, as we've seen, it doesn't matter whether you're a prostitute or not sometimes people can be liars and sometimes if a murder case comes up people want to get other people in trouble this person i'm going to read you their letter it may not be um it may not be that she's deliberately trying to cause trouble it may just be that she has a trauma there's someone out there walking the streets and she's put the two together but you'll see that they're not connected at all so um this is a uh, a lady called ethel whittle good name uh, a prostitute on albany street so not too far away from where french marie was murdered um letter was sent 13th so the statement was taken 13th of july 1938 she wrote about march 1936 i met joseph brooksban in great russell street 
Since then, I have met him three or four times a week. She, uh, at this point, she gives all of his details about his wife and his child and his job and his physical description. Now, his description is age 36, five foot six, dark complexion, uh, dark black brushback hair, large flattened nose. He is a Jew, but is very often mistaken for Italian. He is quite well spoken with a slight Jewish accent. Now, that does not match uh, uh, Norman Stevenson at all, or the, the suspect as seen outside Dutch Lair's uh, flat, or was seen last seen with Dutch Lair. Uh, it continues, Ever since I have known him, he has been subject to some form of fit, which makes him grind his teeth and want to hurt me. I have occasionally spoken about the murder of French Fifi and Marie, and he mumbles to himself and glares. About the time French Marie was murdered, I remember that Brooks Ben came to my flat one Tuesday afternoon about 6pm. He was very strange in his manner and his eyes were glinting. He is a sadist and likes to hurt me and make me cry. Now she gives no details in there about him being with French Marie or meeting her or any reference to her, um, him attacking French Marie. It's literally, she doesn't like him. Uh, he clearly has some kind of epileptic problem, epileptic issue. So, um, but as as said in the episode as well, this is what people do. You can see in there that she doesn't like him because he's slightly unusual. She she makes reference to the fact that he's Jewish, so picking him out there, he looks he looks quite foreign, and he has a disability as well, which kind of makes him an outsider, which is unfortunately what a lot of people seem to do with um any of the suspects anyone they didn't like anyone they were like oh i'm worried about that guy he looks a bit weird they instantly become a suspect this is something that i kind of saw a lot you see it in a lot of um police files when when i'm kind of going through the original court records but mostly the police files i would say at least a fifth of the police file is letters from people who are desperate to inverted commas air quotes help the police but really but really they're not really they they either want to get someone in trouble or they believe they've seen something and it's just it's incorrect it's lies it's 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 misinterpretation of the facts but the police have to take it as they have to take it really seriously just in case they end up missing something in case they end up dismissing a key piece of information that could be important so even though they know it's uh it's complete bs and that's the problem i think there's a lot of people who feel that they're really aiding the investigation by expressing their opinions rather than approaching the police with what are believed to be facts about the case instead they focus on this is i believe that this person is evil they may not have a connection to it but you're the police you go off and solve it if you enjoyed that there's more to come your regular episodes of murder mile will return on thursday the 27th of april or a few days earlier via patreon
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.